the biggest challenge with any whenever there's been any transition has just been me questioning myself whether or not I can do this. In grade 13, I was talking to one of my teachers was asking me what I was going to do when I graduated from high school and I and this was a female teacher and I said, "Oh, I'm going to be studying um, engineering at McMaster University." And she said, "Oh, a good-looking girl like you should do well in engineering." And that was probably the first time I ever heard anything that was like, it, I, I did not know what to say. You know, I'm going to prove that I can do what I need to do um, and that I have what it takes. Today's conversation is with Jane Utanen, who is an engineering and management graduate from McMaster University. She spent about 26 years working at Procter & Gamble, leading businesses and organizational growth until she found her passion in helping and supporting others. She then redirected her journey towards business coaching. In today's episode, we talk about Jane's many accomplishments and successes, but we also talk about what it was really like to go through that journey and to make those transitions. We talk about so many things from what it's like to be one of the very few women at the time working in a male-dominated field, how she learned about her passion, conquering her self-doubt, and the importance of being your own cheerleader. So without further ado, let's learn about how Jane did it. Okay, well, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me to, to be on this podcast, Lana. I'm excited to be here. So Yes, if I think way, way, way back as a child. So I was, uh, I've always been very shy and introverted. So as a, as a child, I was the extreme in the introversion. So I really liked um, being alone and reading books and coloring, you know, just playing with, with my toys and making up stories in my head when I was young. My grandparents uh, had a, a cottage and uh, so I spent my summers up at the cottage when I was a child. And that was great because I had a, a cousin was also there. He's a year and a half older than I am. And we would just play and we would make up games. Uh, we, we had little toy plastic animals and dinosaurs. And we would just create entire stories with these animals and family lives and, and everything um, with these animals and just, you know, being able to run in the woods and play hide and seek in the woods and things like that. So I tended to, you know, in the summers, it was pretty much just spending time with my cousin. And during the school year, you know, growing up, I didn't I'll honestly make say I didn't make a lot of friends because I was so shy. And I really would prefer to just stay, stay in my room and play by myself. Um, as I grew up, though, I, I obviously learned how to uh, yeah, develop those social skills, learned how to interact and be a, a bit more extroverted. But, you know, I, a very common game I would play was I would be the teacher and I would have a classroom and I would teach lessons. And I remember taking my old school school books, you know, at the end of each year when you, know, you still have a few pages left in your school book, and I would write uh, names of, um, you know, write out kids' names. So we'd be classmates and then things. And I would put subjects and I would give them marks and I would be pretending to, to teach them. Um, and uh, that has foretold what I'm doing now, which is training. I don't mark <laughs> people anymore, but it is training and, you know, sharing, sharing expertise and, and helping others learn and grow. So I guess as a child, that was 
what a dream was. And that's now where I've ended up many years later. I find it very cool. Like how, after you've gone through so much, you look back and realize, whoa, it was there in the beginning. I just didn't see it at the time, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It was definitely there. So you did go into engineering though, at first. So how did you go from being, you know, a teacher child into the whole science and very male dominated field? It wasn't because I had a passion to be an engineer. Although when I look back, I had always enjoyed, uh, my grandfather was a carpenter and I would, I enjoyed helping him when he would be building things at the cottage. And whenever my dad would be fixing something in the basement, I'd be handing him tools. So I, there were aspects of building and creating that I enjoyed, but you know, I never took my bike apart and figured out how to put it back together again. (laughs) So it wasn't that uh, a part of engineering that appealed to me. It came down to when I was in high school, I loved math and sciences. I also loved English and drama, theater arts, and I had a decision to make. What was I going to study? Um, Being very practical, uh, being raised as a child of parents who grew up in the depression, I looked at fine arts and it was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get a job in that probably. So the, the direction that you know, it's like, okay, math and sciences. So I was looking at doing a BSc and then in grade, this was in grade 13, I was speaking with my sister's boyfriend who is now my brother-in-law and he had studied engineering at McMaster. He was a civil engineer at Mac. And he basically said, Jane, if you're good at math and sciences and you like math and sciences, take engineering. Because if you don't like it, you can easily switch to science. If you start in science and then decide that, oh, you really should have taken engineering, you'll basically lose a year because you have to redo the courses because they're different and they're Mm -hmm. harder was how he said it. Right. Um, So it's like, Oh, okay. I'll take engineering. And it worked out well because I did love engineering. I loved the work. I, you know, I loved the, the challenges and the problem solving and it was a very good place for me. I never, it never occurred to me until I sat in that first classroom of, you know, 300 students in first year it never occurred to me that it wasn't something that women didn't do very often. Really? So it was Honestly, it wasn't until I sat down and I looked around and it's like, oh, this is like 90% men and 10% women. It hadn't occurred to me. And whether that was just because I, I just had always assumed that and had been taught, it's like, if you work hard, you can do whatever you want. I just assumed that I could do whatever I wanted. I had had teachers all along who had, encouraged me and, and, you know, it certainly had encouraged me to in in the, you know, the the STEM research Mm -hmm. or or STEM studies. And so it didn't occur to me that just because I was female, it wasn't the place to go. I learned as I got to university that, oh yeah, there aren't very many women here. I also learned that, oh, there are a lot of engineering students that I really didn't want to get to know (laughs) (laughs) because there's some very stereotypical behavior um, in engineering. Yeah. And I think it's, I think that's a lot greatly because of the environment that we grow up in. Cause I know some of my friends and the cultures that they grew up in, they yes. tend to believe that, you know, that's a male job and, you know, as a female, you're supposed to do so. And so, so it's really nice to see how in you and your environment has like influenced you, the way you perceived like the role that you're becoming a part of. Yes. It, um, it really was cool. I remember this, this may sound really, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> In grade 13, I was talking to one of my teachers was asking me 
what I was going to do when I graduated from high school. And I, and this was a, a female teacher. And I said, oh, I'm going to be studying um, engineering at McMaster University. And she said, oh, a good looking girl like you should do well in engineering. And that was probably the first time I ever heard anything that was like, it, I, I did not know what to say, but that kind of stuck with me as well, because it's like, I'm so glad I met very few people like her mm-hmm. growing up. You and know, it's very like, easy for people, for simple like statements like that to like throw off people and to yeah. really make them rethink. I know I've seen that in my own life. Personally, I I was a very ambitious child. And so I always had like big goals. And a lot of people would be like, oh, that's if you even get in or that's even even if you are able to do that. And yeah. at some points it did get to me and it like it made me hesitate to want to try something different and to try something new. And then I realized, but wait. If I don't do it and try, then I'll think I like regret it for, for the rest of my life. And so, yeah, it's very scary to think that statements like that can really impact you. They, they, they really can. And it's, it's great that you have gone ahead and you've said, okay, that's what they think. That is their mm-hmm. belief, not my belief. And that's one of the things I, I talk to my clients about um, as, as I'm doing coaching and training now is if you have a goal you know, if, if, if it's, if it's that I want to be an astronaut and you're 75 years old, it's like, okay, that's probably not an achievable goal. I mean, it, it could be because mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there are people older than that, you know, but if you have a goal, it's just a matter of, it's like, figure out the goal, figure out how you're going to get there. Don't let others naysay what you want. And, and this was, you know, partly um, the TEDx talk I did uh, just about a year ago now was daring to live the life you want to live. You are going to come across people who are going to tell you it's it's not achievable. And sometimes it's coming from a place that they care about you. They are concerned you are going to fail and they don't want you to fail. But then what happens is you don't try. And you touched on a point, which is another thing I think is really important, is quite often people will, will regret what they did not do more than they regret what they did do. So the, you know, it's like, yeah, you're going to get old and be retired and then say, oh, I regret having not tried something. Mm-hmm. right so the worst thing that can happen is you fail now 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 look at what are the consequences of failure right um if you're going to lose a lot of money or if it's you know physically dangerous you need to evaluate the risks of things exactly. but but quite often it's it's like if you want something go for it you know figure out how to make it happen figure out what support you need who who you need to who you need to talk to uh to help make it happen who can you get to mentor you who you need in your network and I think a lot of the times, even if you do fail, even if it's something that's obviously not risky, like affecting your health or yeah. something like that, a lot of the times it's actually something that you can use to continue to grow in the future. And I think that's a lot of something that a lot of people overlook, but it's also an important aspect of it. It is definitely <clears throat> because that's what you learn more from failure than from success. You learn what you like to do, what you are mm-hmm. good at doing. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> you learn how to do things differently. and you lose those life life lessons if you don't uh, if you don't give something a try, right? Mm-hmm. And you you also there there are people who they have a dream and they have you know they've been working towards something and something changes in their life or they start to learn things and they realize you know what that's not a dream anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was when I was fifteen, but now I'm thirty or forty, and it's like you know what now I have a different dream. And there's and nothing okay. wrong with yeah exactly, exactly. I was going to say wrong that. With that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because also I think there's also a little bit of fear of wanting to or realizing that you no longer want something as if, you know, 
by doing that, you're doing something wrong, but you know, people change, you change right around things around you change. And so it's okay for your dreams to change as well. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And as long as, as long as you're making the decision consciously Mm -hmm. and saying, yeah, you know what, this isn't what I want anymore. You know, at some point I've been running my business now for nine years. And at some point I'm going to say, you know what, I don't want to run a business anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to do something else. Yeah. That won't mean, mean the business was a failure just because I shut it down. Right. It's just exactly. the natural progression. Yeah. So in your time during like engineering and your engineering program at McMaster, having realized how it was such a male dominated field, did that change the way you continued throughout? I, th- I think it did a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always been driven to succeed and and work hard and get good marks. I mean, that was certainly a, sort of like a base expectation growing up for my parents, right? That you work hard in school, you do well in school, you do extracurricular activities. That's, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And part of it comes from, um, there's, uh, my background is, is Finnish. My grandparents oh, were all from Finland. And there's a Finnish word, word uh, sisu. And sisu doesn't translate exactly into English, but it's being stubborn and persistent and resilient and having what I call stick-to-itiveness, um, never giving up, working hard. So the, you know, I've got a dream and I'm going to figure out how to accomplish it. That was something that was always a part of me because of my culture, my heritage and who I am. And so the concept of going into engineering and being one of the few women um, at the time. So I, I started university in 1980 and it was about 10% women in first year, that definitely would have motivated me, particularly because I'll be honest, there were some male classmates who were, you know, condescending and not, you know, mm-hmm. not very accepting. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to prove to you that <laughs> I'm, I want to be, you know, if not top of the class, I want to be at least on the Dean's honor list, right? I want to, <laughs> you know, I want to get, uh, get good marks. And then Oh, and you're, and I would just think to myself, oh, oh, some of you disappeared at Christmas. Hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, they, they didn't, they either had made a wrong decision. They did not have what they needed, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, but um, it certainly, yeah, it was that little bit extra drive and determination to, to do well and, and work hard. And then afterwards, did you pursue anything related to what you studied or how did things change after that? So when I graduated from Mac, I did the um, uh, engineering and management degree. So it was a five-year mm-hmm. degree. And that gave me a lot of the business background as well, which I have found extremely helpful over my career to have not just the engineering skills, mm-hmm. but the, the business um, as well. So I went to work for Procter & Gamble in research and development. And I stayed at P&G for 26 years. And for the first 14 years, I was in research and development. So I was doing technical work. I was responsible at various stages for product design. So, you know, formulation for Mr. Clean, for example, process development. So working with the the engineers who were designing the equipment that we made our feminine protection products on, for example, packaging, qualifying raw material suppliers. So a broad range of technical types of work. And I loved all of it. Still had times when not a, not in within PNG uh, did I did I see problems the fact that I was a woman sometimes it was working with suppliers where they mm-hmm. were not as accepting but I'd have to say within Procter and Gamble there were very very few people I came across where gender was a challenge mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I did, you know, did engineering work for about half of my career. Then I moved into market research. And then I finally got to the <laughs> training and development, which is the, the transition. And I was doing training and development for five years, uh, leading the program for the market research department globally, which is when I said, this is what I most love to do. And what was it that made you feel that way? So when, so really what I saw then was, although for my entire career, I had always had direct reports. I've had a team, I've had people's mm -hmm. mentoring, I've had people's coaching, and I had always enjoyed my meetings with my team to help them solve their challenges more than solving my own work problems that I had to solve. But it was when I then had the opportunity to lead training sessions and I was doing some diversity training. Um, I was also doing the train the trainer training. So helping PG employees mm -hmm. learn how to train different courses, doing communication training, developing curriculum and seeing how uh, you may have heard of the pebble in the pond. Mm -hmm. So seeing how I can run a training session for 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 people or 200 people and each of them gets better at something. And then they go out and they can impact other people. And just the fact when someone would come up and say, you know, feeding my ego, right? Saying, hey, Jane, <laughs> you know, when you said such and such, I had an aha moment. I really understood how to do this better or how I was struggling with this. And now I know what I want, you know, what I want to do, how I want to change, what I can do to, to, to improve my skills, whatever, whatever the, 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 mm -hmm case was when I started to hear those that <clears throat> excuse me that's what felt more rewarding than when I was getting feedback on great product launch you know great new always panty liner <laughs> it's like okay great new, new panty liner important but the impact on people was mm -hmm. something that was was so much more rewarding to me and so then the flow through to you know training and coaching and then when I left P&G, starting my own business, doing uh, business and executive coaching and training, it sends shivers up and down my spine when a client thanks me, like just, you know, says something about how I have contributed to them accomplishing their big goals. You know, we're talking about mm -hmm. goals, right? Do you think you would have found it just as rewarding if that's something that you started right away prior to maybe going into engineering? I may have. However, I don't know that I would have been very good at it. Mm -hmm. I think I needed to learn a lot about to do this, but particularly when I'm doing business coaching, I, would, I needed to learn a lot about business. I needed to mm -hmm. understand how business works, how to solve business problems, all the various pieces of what needs to happen in a business. Uh, I needed to, to learn that. Um, I suppose when I think about the fact that when I was in grades five and six and I would help kids in grades one and two with their reading I suppose I you know I did have some of the skills um, but having lived through I think lived experience is really important when it comes to being a teacher a trainer a coach mm -hmm. a mentor um, because you just you have a lot to draw on and you have mm -hmm. bigger picture thinking and so if I had tried to do this straight out of school I don't know that I would have been very good at. I think I would have fallen into a traditional, mm -hmm. you know, teacher in a public school system. I, that's, I think, where I would have would have fallen. And I, I may have been a good teacher. I don't know. <laughs> and I think that really shows how all of your experiences build up, regardless of whether you stick to one thing or not. 
everything helps you and it leads you up to the thing that you want to do at the end. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this, you know, because of the experience, this has allowed me to uh, give back in many ways. So Mm -hmm. I'm a volunteer mentor at the Forge at McMaster, uh, McMaster's incubator. Um, I've sat on the board for the Canadian Association of Women Executives and Entrepreneurs for four years. It's helping, helping women professionals, uh, many of them entrepreneurs. And so because of the experience I have, I'm able to mm-hmm. then do it both on a volunteer basis um, as well as uh, for my business. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you've come across going through those transitions? Ah, uh, some of the biggest challenges, I would say myself, <laughs> getting, so? over my, get, getting over <laughs> myself. Um, the, the feeling that when you start something new, that, so even when I, you know, I started at Procter & Gamble, they, they clearly felt they must have felt I had the skills needed to do the job or they wouldn't have hired me. Right. But still feeling, having some uh, uh, self-confidence issues of, well, I don't really know what to do. And, and can I make this decision? This comes back to being the introvert. Right. Mm-hmm. And so just getting through a new experience and, and kind of, okay, faking it <laughs> till I, I actually feel like I know enough that I, I am competent. Um, even though from day one, I probably was competent, right? But just um, the, the biggest challenge with any, whenever there's been any transition has just been me questioning myself whether or not I can do this. And then I go back to, do you want to do it, Jane? Do you need to do it? <laughs> Remember how you were raised to work hard and, and just, you know, hit any challenge face on and figure it out and just keep going. And then the self-confidence over time does build. Yeah. And I think it's very important that you, you bring that up. I think a lot of people experience that I myself have experienced it in the past. And it's always, it's always a feeling that you get again, and then you have to push through it to continue to grow. And it's, it's an important aspect of that journey. It, it, it is. And, you know, it's, it's the stepping outside your comfort zone, mm-hmm. right? You don't learn and grow unless you do things that you've never done before. Exactly. And the more you do them, the better you get at them. And when I'm speaking with other introverts, you know, at a networking event or something, and, and you know, we, we both admit that we're introverts and they're like, well, how do you do this? And it's like, it's practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's practice. And, and when I first started my business, I needed to, I, I practiced my introducing myself in front of a mirror. I practiced it for my husband, I, you know to get comfortable with it. And mm-hmm. so it's practicing any skill that leads to self-confidence. You practice, oh, you see a little success. Oh, maybe I can do this. And, and quite often, not all the time, but quite often we'll find that it's not actually as hard as we thought it was going mm-hmm. to be. Exactly. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it's also having a support network can be mm-hmm. so important, um, you know, family, friends, et cetera. Um, I think that's, you know, one, one thing that has made a, a, a huge difference for me has just been the support, um, per, you know, particularly from my husband. We started dating when we were 16 in grade 11 um, and we're still together. So, you know, no matter what challenges I was facing, whether through school or just, you know, hard, hard courses at school, um, starting a new job, you know, you get promoted, any new challenges, change jobs, having him there always saying, yeah, you can do this, Jane. That makes a huge Mm -hmm. difference. And so to have someone 
um, you know, your, your cheerleader behind you when you're trying something new is so important. But what would you say, what advice would you give if someone doesn't have that kind of person? So one thing you can do is take some time and think back over your life and write a list of 100 things that you have accomplished. And some of them might just be, I passed grade three, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them might be, I did a TEDx talk. Some of them might be, you know, I was top of my class in organic chemistry or whatever. Some of them might be small and some of them might be bigger. But if you can come up with a list of 100 things that you have accomplished and you look at that list on a regular basis, you are going to be your own cheerleader. You're going to realize that you're a pretty darned amazing person, right? (laughs) Don't look at anyone else's list because other people's lists will be different. Every activity, every accomplishment will have different value to different people. Um, Passing grade three might be easy for some people. It might've been really hard for other people, right? Mm -hmm. And so the scope of the accomplishments will be very different, but that is one way to be your own cheerleader. And then every time you do something, right? Add to the list, add to the list, get it to be a list of 200. At the end of every day, think about what is one really great thing I did today. Some days it'll be small things. I made dinner and it was tasty. Some days it'll be really big things. I, you know, I did a TEDx talk, right? Like whatever. Some days will be big things. Some days will be smaller things, but getting in the habit of being your own cheerleader is, is one way. The other thing is track, keep track of, if you get a thank you card from anyone, if you get an email from anyone that says anything good, if you get, you know, in my business, I get testimonials, I get different, anything at all like that, keep it, keep them in a file and look at them because the person may not be sitting physically beside you as a cheerleader, but you, if you go back to, it could be something someone said 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So like, I've got thank you cards that I, I, I got from employees when they were leaving P&G and they'd worked for me and they gave me a thank you card. I have those thank you cards. Every now and then I look at what they said because they'll say something about how I helped them, how I was you know a good manager, a good friend, whatever. So I may not be in touch with them anymore, but they're still a cheerleader for me. And I also think the whole, you know, building the skill of being your own cheerleader is very important because I've realized that you can't always expect people to be cheering you on because obviously they have their own things to deal with and so you need to be able to cheer yourself on exactly exactly Um, and that's you know having a network Mm -hmm. going out and consciously building a network is so important um, because you can you can build a network of cheerleaders if you don't already have them right yeah and it can start with you you say something you support them and then it will it will come back to you. I love that. <laughs> All right. So in terms of your coaching, business coaching, yes. what is some of, what are some of the challenges that a lot of your clients come to you with? Over the last couple of years, the biggest, the biggest pattern has been when I'm, I'm working with someone where they are a solopreneur. So they are doing, they're running the business. It is just them. They are the only employee. They might have a part-time assistant who helps a little bit, or they might contract some workout. Uh, they might have someone who's doing some of their social media or something, but basically they're wearing every hat. They are doing all the work. 
they are getting exhausted and overwhelmed and they want to grow their business. And the only way to grow the business is to hire employees. The challenge is to hire employees, you have to pay them, mm-hmm. but you have to start paying them before they start to earn money for you. So you don't have the revenue yet in order to pay them. Conversely, you can try to earn enough revenue doing two or three people's work so that you have revenue coming in before you hire people, but then you're doing two or three people's work. Mm-hmm. So working through how to hire employees, grow your organization, helping them figure out how to be the true business owner and run a business rather than being what would be called the technician doing all the work. Getting them through those stages is, is, is the challenge that currently most of my clients are, are going through. And it is fun and exciting and stressful and hard work and overwhelming. <laughs> but by developing a plan yeah. and, and developing a plan and being very careful about the decisions you make, you know, you don't just go and suddenly hire 10 people. It's okay, well, I hire one. And then when can I hire number two? When can I hire number three? And, and making sure you're getting the right people and that mm-hmm. they're doing the right work to free you up to do higher value work as the business owner. So would you say that, you know, the clients that you've come across over the like the years that you've worked as a business coach, have those mm-hmm. clients impacted the person that you are today? Definitely, definitely. Uh, I've certainly... I've learned a lot more about a lot of different types of business mm-hmm. and how to run different types of businesses. Um, I've learned, I've learned, for example, that I would rather work with people who are in professional services versus selling goods of some kind. So one of my early clients had a shoe store and working with them was less interesting than working with someone who um, I have a lawyer, I have um, someone who runs a marketing agency. So people who are providing a service to someone else. And so I've learned about myself and that's part of the pebble in the pond. So if I'm helping someone who provides a service to someone else, I'm helping them to help their clients and it, you know, it expands mm-hmm. out again. So I've learned the kinds of people I like to work with. You know, I, yeah, I like to work with people who are, are driven and motivated and willing to work hard. And so it has evolved. Uh, it has evolved over time as I, you know, as, as my business has, has grown. And most important thing is I want to have fun with my clients. Like I want to be able to laugh with them. And I wouldn't have thought that would have been a big deal 10 years ago. <laughs> it just would, you know, would have been like, well, I, if I can help them and they're going to pay me, right? Yeah. It's like, no, I, I need to, I need to have fun with them. Mm-hmm. And it's also the personal connection that you build with them that, you know, probably makes your interaction a lot better and then your communication a lot better. And in turn, the outcome that you both come out with. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it seems to me also that you're very uh, focused on making sure that the clients are finding time to be able to do focus on their personal things as well, not just, you know, their professional aspect of life. So how do you go about doing so? That is definitely important because quite often I speak with people and they want to start their own business because they want to have freedom to spend their time, Mm -hmm. you know, flexibility to do what they want. Um, They expect to make a lot of money. They expect to have fun. They, 
they want to be fulfilled doing what they're doing. And then they get into their business and they find that, well, I'm spending all my time doing social media, which I don't like, figuring out my, my books and doing my, you know, financials, mm -hmm. which I don't like, issuing invoices, which I don't like, um, marketing, which I don't like, this, that, and the other, and having very little time to do what they enjoy doing. And they're working way harder than they thought they were going mm -hmm. to have to. So they actually have less flexibility. It's quite often what happens. So one of the first things we do is it's, it's figuring out, getting very clear on what is the goal that they have for their business and the goals they have for their life. And we work through some exercises to make sure that there is actually a fit with the kind of business they want and the kind of life at a holistic level that they want. Because sometimes they'll, they'll have a vision for a business and, and think, well, I can do this part-time. And it's like, well, no, it, it's not actually going to work. Like the, to get the results you want, you would need to work full-time at that. Mm -hmm. And so just working through and helping them make sure that they have realistic goals that they can accomplish. And we work through what the action plans are. And I hold them accountable as, you know, as we work through um, delivering the plans. But part of it also is how do they use their calendar? How do they plan not just the business for the year, but we take that down and look at what, what you need to do in the first quarter, the second quarter, et cetera. Mm -hmm. In that first quarter, what do you need to do in the first month, the second month, the third month? What does that mean you need to do each week? in that month and what do you need to do each day, which sounds really painful and meticulous. <laughs> and, and it can be quite overwhelming if you, if you take it into too much detail. Mm -hmm. But if you know what you want to accomplish for the quarter, you say, okay, so this month, this means I, that means I need to get, I need to do this. You know, you, it's like, what do I have to get done in the first month? And then every week as you plan your week saying, okay, what are the things I need to get done this week? It takes, once you're in the habit, it takes about five to 10 minutes each week to do your plan and figure mm -hmm. out what you need to accomplish. Then you need to hold yourself accountable to do that. You need to carve out time in your calendar to work on the things. And that's what it comes down to. So if getting exercise, getting to the gym three times a week is important, you put it in your calendar and you don't move it. Mm -hmm. If you have to move it, you don't cancel it. You move it to another time slot and you make sure. So it's, there's personal accountability. There's how much do I really want to accomplish this goal? How important is it to me? And, you know, visualizing the impact when you accomplish the goal that can help you um, to, to get there. But it's, you know, it's, it's using, finding a tool. Some people I use, you can see a little bit of it here, paper and pencil calendar for my planning other people, there are various online tools and calendaring mm -hmm. systems and programs you can use. Finding a system to make sure you do what you need to do. Getting an accountability partner, someone who you speak with and say, hey, I'm going to do this this week. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the week, did you do it or not? That increases the odds significantly that you're going to accomplish what you want. And that needs to include not just the business goals, but the professional, mm -hmm. no, sorry, not just the business goals, but your personal goals as well. Yeah. Um, and a common, a common question is, you know, how often do you want to have time, have family dinners with your family? How often during the week? Do mm -hmm. you want to do that seven days a week? Or is it okay if it's four or five days a week because the other days you're in meetings or whatever, whatever is right for you. And then we make that happen because, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't book meetings, right? 
And I think that's a very important skill, even if you don't want to open your own business or something like that. I know I, it plays in my own life as well. Uh, I know I like to use the calendar a lot. I use the online version of it, but I know my friends used to think that like, I'm a very type A person and have everything in there. But I think that uh, even if like things don't go exactly as planned, it's a good thing to look back to and see, you know, where you spent your time effectively where you haven't where you could have fixed things up you know knowing when you work best when you don't work best and all of that yeah you've and you've touched on a couple of really good points is understanding yourself mm-hmm. and if you know that your brain shuts down at three in the afternoon exactly. don't try to do hard work at three <laughs> in the afternoon do the easy stuff then yeah. right um or that's when you go and get your exercise or something and analyzing, looking back and saying, mm-hmm. okay, did I accomplish what I wanted? How much time did I spend? Mm, I went into Facebook because I had, I was doing a post for my business, but then I spent a half an hour checking up on friends. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, not a good use of my time. Right. So analyzing how you're using. Your yeah. Time is also and sometimes important. you'd think that like a specific task will take you two hours, but instead it actually takes you like four hours. So next time you yes. have to do it, you now know that it takes you more than you expect it to. And so you yeah. adjust accordingly, which I think is very important. Yeah. One, one concept I, I, I speak with my clients about and, and actually run these sessions once a week for um, my co-working group is work sprints. We get together on zoom for an hour and a half every Wednesday at one and we take you know, 30 seconds and just say, this is the work we're going to do in the next hour and a half. And then we just sit down and do it. And we're all on zoom with video on (laughs) so we can see, and we take a break in the middle for like a couple minutes to, you know, get a cup of tea. And then at three o'clock, how did it go? Did you, you know, how much did you get done? And people are like, I got so much done. (laughs) And (laughs) I just got each other accountable. Exactly. It is important. It's just because this is my focused work time. Right. Mm -hmm. So after like having talked about all of this, I do yeah. notice that the whole ro- dare to roadmap that you talked about earlier yes. does play out in a lot of the things that you talk about. So yes. I did want to ask, is that something that you've created or formed after you've gone through those experiences? Good question. I formulated the roadmap when I applied to be a TEDx speaker because the theme was dare. Mm-hmm. And so that I sat down and, and I literally thought through, okay, what have I dared to do? What have I not dared to do? What have I learned? So then I looked back over my experiences and I looked at stories, you know, famous people who have dared, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, who have dared to dream and, and have made a difference. And, and so I, I did some research and things started to fall into place. And of course, acronyms are always nice. Right. So I, I basically, developed the roadmap to fit the theme of dare which was Mm -hmm. the theme for the the TEDx event last year uh based on on what I what I have learned what I have experienced the challenges I faced how I how I came overcame them but I hadn't consciously been doing that before then so and now I am more consciously doing it (laughs) <laughs> and, and teaching it right so yeah yeah when you were when I was listening to the TED talk I did notice that it's very accurate because when I was deciding to come up with my own podcast the whole idea of having a podcast was always there so I would say it's like a dream part yes but then yes. it wasn't until I started like making action steps and putting like maybe possible deadlines that I actually started to get through with it. But before that, it was just like an idea that was there. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why the second step is dare to act. 
exactly. You have to take that first step and then the second step. And even if they're tiny steps, mm-hmm. you have to keep making progress, right? Mm-hmm. So you did mention how your husband was an important cheerleader for you yes, throughout your yes. journey. Who else would you say played an important role in your life and, you know, the person that you became? Uh, when, I, when I was a child, my grandparents were always very supportive and, and they were role models um, in the sense of um, immigrating to Canada in the 20s, you know, don't speak English. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the depression hits and, you know, um, and just their their work ethic, their sisu, right? And I'll finish. And working hard and being determined to make a better life for their children. I think, I think that really was a huge influence. And then to also see how much they enjoyed life, mm-hmm. how much they enjoyed family, the importance of family, um, and the importance of, you know, having, having fun when family's together, right? And really working to keep, to keep family. So they, they definitely, my grandparents were a, a huge, huge influence on me, all of them. Would you say you've had experiences with people that, you know, have impacted you in a negative way throughout your journey? And how did you deal with those experiences? Uh, there were definitely people I have met um, professionally mm-hmm. where I've said, I never, ever want to be like them. And so it was taking notes of, this is how not to behave. Mm-hmm. This is how not to treat people. There, yeah, there were people who, you know, the odd person who would, for no good reason, just, you know, not, not treat people well. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then there would be a little bit of, okay, I'm going to prove you, I'm going to prove that I can <laughs> prove you wrong. Exactly. You know, I'm going to prove that I can do what I need to do um, and that I have what it takes. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do it right. So it's it was taking it was taking the negative and being able to turn it to a positive. Now, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll say that sure there were plenty of negative moments. There were you know plenty of because things like that they feed the self doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, any of the self lack of confidence and things that that there's always some base level. Um, they they can escalate a lack of self confidence significantly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have to work harder to to overcome that. And so I had I can think of one person in particular where because of some comments and because of the style this person I was working with um, really made me doubt my ability to do anything good. It took time. It took getting away from the individual and then working with um, an individual who was completely different. Mm-hmm right? In terms of being a very supportive manager and understanding and and understanding where I was coming from to kind of help rebuild. But it's the kind of thing where there are still times where I'll think about this other person and how that individual made me feel, right? And it's like, yeah, okay, I want to, I really, really don't ever want to do that to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the, the reason I bring this up is because we're living at an a, a generation where it's very social media oriented. And yes. so it's very easy to get struck by words. And you sometimes I like scroll through and I like ask myself, how could someone say that to someone? Yes. But it's it, it's something that we all have to encounter and, you know, learn how to deal with it. And I also yes. think that 
that also affects how we see ourselves and how we compare ourselves to others. And that's that also leads into the whole, you know, thinking that you're not living up to who you should be. And and you just have to remember that you need to set your standards for what is successful, what is what makes you happy, um, what do you want? And your standards may or may not be similar to someone else's standards, mm-hmm. right? But understanding what your standards are and realizing that 99.9% of them are faking it, mm-hmm. I think. And so, and because social media has a certain amount of, it creates a distance, right? Mm-hmm. So people might post something on social media that they would never say to a person's face, right? But because it's social media, it somehow seems easier because it's less personal, mm-hmm. but it can be as damaging. For sure. I just realized, I think, yeah, I'm wearing a, a snowflake necklace. Um, just on the topic, I had gotten this from Carol Todd. She, uh, she was doing a TEDx talk a number of years ago and I met with her, met her beforehand. She was Amanda Todd's mother. Amanda Todd is a 15 year old who committed suicide a number of years ago in BC for bullying um, on social media. And I just realized now that I'm wearing, I'm wearing this. And then you, you mentioned this, it's like social on social media and the people's public personas can be so damaging and so mm-hmm. hurtful right to the extreme. And at, at times it's like, turn it off and just keep reminding yourself that it's a, I think it's like a spiral that feeds itself. Mm-hmm, right. For sure. Well, I have to post something that makes me look better than you, which, and then, you know, and it just goes on and then you post something to make you look better than me and get back to personal relationships one-to-one. Exactly. That's something we've missed because of COVID, but we're making the best out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I do agree. I think it's very important to realize when you need a break from it and give yourself that break because you can only handle so much and you shouldn't be like pushing yourself to be accepting more. But with the whole idea of it being not real most of the time, I remember I remember a few years back, I had like a formal event that I had to attend and I was sitting at a table with a few other girls. Some of them I didn't know. And some of them, uh, like they were my friends and things like that. So we were all talking and, and we were getting to know the other people, but most of the people on the table seemed to be very bored. So it wasn't like a very exciting time, but that moment, I also went on my phone to check my Instagram and I saw the story that was posted by the, some of the exact same people on that table. And on that video, it seemed like they were having the time of their life. And (laughs) I look up and I look back down. Those are the same exact people. And that's when it hit me that it's not real and you shouldn't always be comparing yourself to what you see on the internet because you don't know, you don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. Because they wouldn't want to admit that they're at a boring event Mm -hmm. or that they're sitting with a group of people they don't know. And so they're not, they may not be comfortable because they don't know you, whatever. And it's, yeah. And, you know, everyone wants to be, everyone wants to be liked. Everyone wants to be seen in a positive light. And so- Mm -hmm you're going to want to post things that make you look good, right? Yeah. No, no one, very few people like to post ugly photos of themselves, right? Exactly. They pick the best ones. That's natural, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's, it's important to, you know, it's important to your self-esteem to think that, to know that other people like you. So yeah. Yeah. You're going to want to 
make yourself look as good as possible. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's important no. to realize when you want to draw the line, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Where do you see yourself going in the future? After having gone through all of this, what else do you want to do? Do you think you've reached your fullest potential or is there something else you want to continue with? Excellent question. And I've set my, my um, big goal for this year is to actually answer that question. So to figure out um, what my 5, 10, 20 year plan is. Do I want to continue to work full time as long as I am physically, mentally capable? Do I want to try to figure out a way to continue to do this part time? Do I want to retire? So that is actually, mm-hmm. and it, it will be a project. It's, it, it takes time to, yeah. to figure this out. So that is, is the, um, the project. But I think the answer is somewhere in the space of working, you know, so continuing to run my business for three to five years ish. And at the end, kind of starting to taper down the time, right. Um, to be able to travel more, spend time with family, but continue to be a volunteer mentor at the forge, for example, if Mm -hmm. they want me. So to continue to help people who are starting up a business to, to learn the things and do the things that they need to be successful in their business. And so that might be 20% of my time. Mm -hmm. I I don't think there's another huge career change to do something (laughs) totally new. And that wraps up our episode for today. I really hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, where you'll be the first to know when each episode is released. It would also mean the world if you could leave a rate and a review. You can also feel free to follow on Instagram at htdipodcast or send me an email at htdipodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and I'll see you guys in the next one.